Welcome to The Haber Show. I'm excited to bring you this wide-ranging conversation with Mark Cuban. I mean, does this guy even need an intro? He's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and one of the great whites on Shark Tank. We sat down in a Ritz-Carlton lounge in Chicago as the vegetarian munched on wasabi peas and peanuts. And one of those peanuts, as you'll later hear, would give him a coughing fit. Yes, billionaires still do have coughing fits. With Cuban, we'll discuss Luca Mania, the time Luca met Barack Obama. We'll talk about load management and its impact on ratings and how NBA highlights need to be monetized. Interesting thoughts there. I'll also ask him about whether he's still thinking about running for president, and Cuban reveals what he talked about with President Trump recently, or at least as much as he'd like to divulge. Lots to get into, so without further ado, my conversation with Mark Cuban. It is All-Star Weekend. I am here with Mark Cuban. What's going on, man? What's going on, Tom? It's the Luca Show. Yeah, really, is when you go to these events, like, he is huge. Yeah, he's, and he's, he's killing it right now. Yesterday, I was talking to Frank Vogel. And he was saying the coolest thing was just seeing Barack Obama just roll up. And Luca got a chance to go see him. So what was that like to just see him uh, being around this atmosphere and seeing Barack? He loves it. I mean, I know he was excited about that. He might have been even more excited to meet Magic Johnson. So, oh, yeah. You know, it, it, that, that's just who Luca is. He's a kid just, you know, appreciating all these new experiences and all these legends that he's always looked up to. Now that, you know, they look up to him, right, and they respect him. And, He's going through that process of realizing he belongs. He's, he's someone who's been in the fishbowl for a long time. Yeah. When did you first watch a highlight of Luka? Um, when he played against the Thunder was the first time I really watched. Oh, and in that then, preseason? Yeah. And then, you know, our guys have been talking about him forever. And so you have to watch, you have to see, and then you notice he's winning every award that Europe has to offer, so you can't ignore him. And then it's just a question of, you know, do you think it carries over? And we obviously did. Yeah, when did you think, okay, this could be a franchise pillar player? I mean, he's, you just never know, right? I mean, you know he has that opportunity, but when you've got a, a teenager that's basically winning every award that Europe has to offer, you know, that tells you something. You know, and when you talk to European players that have played in the NBA, and they were all compliment, complimentary, you know, and said, this kid can really play, that tells you even more. Was he over-scouted? Like, why didn't he drop to three? You know, every team's got to make their own decision. You know, and it also, context matters. You know, why did why was Sam Bowie drafted number one? Because, you know, Portland had Clyde Drexler. It matters, and, you know, there's still, I think, Luca will be the last year where there was a bias towards bigs, where, you know, historically, if there was a Shaquille O'Neal big, transcend, transcendental big, you always have to take him. But I think what we've learned watching the all-time greats, you know, in the conversation, Jordan, um, LeBron, Kobe, they all have the ability to bring the ball up and, don't, and are not dependent on somebody else to get them the ball. Rock to get into the post. And in a wide-open game, the way it is now, that's even more important. So, Luca, I think the Luca-type prototypes are going to be the number ones going forward. And I think the bigs will be the running backs of the NFL, right? Where it used to be if you were a USC running back, you were a number one pick no matter what because you were going to get yards. Now that's just not the approach anymore. And I think bigs will follow that same trend. Where they, someone who can bring the ball up and initiate and finish offense is going to be more valuable. 
when they hired the Phoenix Suns hired Igor Kukoskov, we were like, oh shit. You never know. Right? <laughs> Organizations are their own little ecosystems that have their own little weirdness to them, so you just never know. Yeah, because I'd imagine it would be a little bit nervous on draft night being like, we want Luca, but oh my. I think everybody had DeAndre as the number one pick no matter what. I didn't. Well, I think you know, the traditional NBA GM mindset, when we went around the league, I mean, you know, the, the process is all teams canvas other teams, and they tell you know, well, who do you think this team or that team will draft? And everybody had DeAndre number one. I mean, without exception. How much of that was also just the Arizona time, Phoenix and Sarver? I mean, I mean, I'm talking about 30 teams. I mean, yeah. you know, 25 teams had him number one. You know, and so, like I said, I, I think the game has just changed so rapidly that scouting hasn't quite kept up with the changes. Um, but that'll change. I think we could change that for us. Yeah, I, I, kind of, I wrote a piece last year about um, whether analytics, and I, I know that's a buzzword, but just the, the more data that we have in the NBA and scouting and synergy and second spectrum, it seems like we're not hitting on draft picks as much as we used to. I mean, of course, that Luka draft was different. Top well, five no, yeah, was, I mean, look, analytics is one thing. Knowing what you think you should do is one thing. Being able to implement the data is a whole nother thing. And having coaches that are open to using it is another thing. And so it's not so much that analytics has led to bad draft picks. It's just, it's difficult for, it's like, I'll use the football analogy. Every single bit of analytics says you go for it on fourth down, you know, if you're within X yard line. Yeah. Nobody does. That's a lot about job security though, right? Exactly. Why is it any different in the NBA? Well, it took a long time for the three-pointer to... Not really. Take. I mean, it's just, it went, you went through various um, iterations I mean, the Mavs, the Rockets broke the Mavs records from the mid-90s with Nelly, you know? Um, so it wasn't so much the three-pointer was there. There hadn't been teams that won with the three-pointer. And, as, you know, we started that trend, I think, a lot with the 2011 championship team. And then people just took it to further and further extremes. And, and guys started to learn to shoot the three. You know, they watched Dirk. There, there was a prototype three-point shooter at every position. You know, from Nash to Dirk to... You name it, even Jay Kidd, who couldn't shoot when he came in, learned how to shoot threes, and that made a huge difference. Did you see what Barack said? Uh, yeah, I know, that? yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that tampering? Wait, wait, Jason Kidd can't talk to Luke, and that's can Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, like, everyone, I think it's AAU culture, like all the players play together, but now also the coaching staffs and the executive staffs, everyone's together. It's not the old Charles Oakley beat out of guy culture anymore. No. You know, everybody played together at some point, got to be friends at some point, traveled together. You know, the guys who played in the mid-90s where they beat the hell out of each other didn't play basketball year-round. They played four different sports year-round. Wait, but I thought they didn't play with any shoes, Mark. They walked <laughs> up, up, uphill to no, school look, every day in the snow. They did, I did. Uh, I walked up, but um, it was just different culture, right? They grew up differently. Now, every kid, if you live in, you know, if, if you play anywhere at a decent level, you're playing against everybody. And more, more than likely, you're friends with everybody, unless, you know, it's like Luke and you're from Europe and you just don't connect, you know, and you're not, not over here. But, you know, Trey Young played with Michael Porter Jr. And so, you know, DeAndre Ayton played with so-and-so. You know, you're not all of a sudden going to want to be the out of each other. Yeah. Well, that, that gif of... of Trey Young and Luca last night. Yeah, it was funny as hell. Amazing. Yeah, funny amazing. I've watched it like a thousand times, like just as a pick me up. It was such a cool, heartwarming moment uh, of two kids. I mean, 
you're 21, 20 years old, right? But that kind of love, people were talking magic and, and Larry, just like how these two guys. It's just fun. I mean, they, look, they brought, they recognized that people play for the joy of the game. Yeah. And they're, they're bringing back joy to the game, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, don't pick the guy. Even today, right, if a guy's laying on the ground, only his teammates pick him up. And, you know, maybe there's an exception now and then. But young guys coming in, it's just a different attitude. And, and plus, look, you go through AAU, you play it against or with everybody who's any good that's probably making it to the NBA. You're following them on Instagram from the time you're 12 or 11 or the first time you get on Instagram. They're following you. You're seeing all their highlights on Ball is Life and all the other you know um, sites like that. Now you're seeing them in a constant flow on TikTok the same way. You're, you can't help but be friends. I mean, if you, I follow a bunch of them, if only because then I get to see who likes each other's comments. And so you see, you know, Trey like Lucas, Lucas like Trey, who likes DeAndre, who likes so and so, right? That you got to understand that culture and how that's changed everything. They're not all of a sudden going to walk on the court and try to be out of each other. In the '90s, you had more players that would run towards fights, and the, you know now it's more people who will run away from fights. So it's a different culture, and I think you, we've talked about it before about how social media, yes, they're on their phones a lot, the young players, but also creates chemistry, that creates positivity, where they they see that Luca just liked my photo, and that adds. Well, yeah, plus everybody's a brand from the time they're 12 years old. From the time you can get on Instagram, TikTok, or whatever social media, you know everybody's watching you, and you want as many people as possible to follow you. They're selling products, you know. There's and there's kids that you know, become um, social media heroes and you know, mixtape heroes that, you know, make it to the NBA, but that's the brand and that's who they are and they want that to be a positive thing because they know that sucks. And they also know they're under a microscope and, you know, there's cameras now, there's, you know, Follow's Life is getting exclusives on certain players, Duncan Demick's getting exclusive on certain players, right, Bleacher Report, House of Highlights is getting exclusive on certain players. And so they recognize that they benefit when their brand is positive and their social media brand is positive. So you don't see all the behind the scenes things because it's, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And so, you know, the culture, like my 10 year old son, I'm watching his TikTok feed and it's, it's almost all basketball and less dancing, which is unusual on TikTok, right? And you look at him on YouTube and he's watching highlights all the time. And so just the way you know, when, when we were growing up, you'd wait the next morning for a newspaper. Then you'd watch SportsCenter, you know. And then, you know, up until as, as streaming became more prevalent, and I'm proud of the fact that I started that shit. Um, you know, now all of a sudden, you, there's an app that you're following all this. And if you're 19, 20, 21 years old, that's the first thing you're looking at. That's your source of information for everything. That's your new newspaper. And that's what's changed dramatically, and that's changed the relationships with players. It's between players, it's changed the relationship between um, players and teams, the relationship between players and traditional media. It's just a different world, and you know, you gotta, I have to pay attention to it. I'm, I'm geeky anyways, right? so I like that stuff, and I've always been part of it. But um, it, it's a key to how things are gonna happen going forward. Yeah, how, how do you monetize that? Like, how do you make a business out of like, all the young people are on their phones watching this. Well, that's a conversation we had yesterday at the Tech Summit. Um, it's almost becoming, it will become a lot more like a music business where instead of saying, like the NFL a lot of times will say no, highlights can't happen. Premier League has a rule where you can't show goals until 11 p.m. that night or something online. 
I didn't even know that till yesterday. But we'll have to start as a league charging more for licensing because our importance is greater. So YouTube, as an example, couldn't lose Vivo as a source of music. Otherwise, 35% of their traffic would have disappeared when that deal came up, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever it was. And so Vivo could just jack up the price, right? And just got their minimum guarantees through the roof because YouTube knew they couldn't lose it. This is pre-Instagram. Um, pre now, the NBA and our highlights are starting to take on that same level of importance. So we're going to be able to charge significantly more for the license for... Now the question comes, what's the crossover point or is there a crossover point between games, you know, our live games versus the value of our highlights, you know, near term versus longer term. So, you know, right now, that shot by Luca yesterday where him and Trey, two seconds after it happened, it was online. You know, and you were seeing it and everybody was seeing it. How much can we charge for that? And not necessarily just one, but for all those highlights, because that's the beauty of the NBA. There's always one. Whereas the NFL is better geared towards traditional television, because traditional television is much older, right? Their, their average age is in the 60s. Um, and on top of that, in football, you're only watching 12 minutes of football. That's great, yeah. It's you know? Study by Kurt, yeah. Yeah, you're watching 12 actual minutes of football, yeah. where in basketball, there's actually 48 minutes. You know, and so you're watching 48 minutes of, of game, and so it takes more energy and, and more of a commitment to watch a basketball game than a football game. Even and you don't have the start stop of a football game where like where you can do other things. Yeah, yeah. No one has to watch. That's why fantasy football works so well in football because it's once a week, right? So you can trade and mess around the whole time. Yeah. And you can play fantasy football because you've got 40 seconds in between snaps to do whatever the hell you want. You know, you have plenty of time to go to the bathroom 15 times, you know? So it's just different. And so we have to recognize the value of our highlights now are increasing dramatically. And Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, TikTok, um, all the different platforms can't live without us. Yeah, because I kind of feel like, what, what's the answer there? Is it like a bug of like an ad, like no, no, no. Forget, yeah, on just, the highlight? You can't, you can't put the highlights on there unless you pay us. Got it. Can you, can you actually release that? Just look at music. Right? When you try to put music up, it knows that you use licensed content, right? It knows, it recognizes that song, and it's, with AI, it's going to be really easy to do the same okay. thing again. So help me with uh, goaltending and referees. Why are we so good at technology in the NBA, and yet, like, when a ball ascends into the air and then falls to the rim, we can't, we can't be able to, like, tell technology. We can, we just haven't. Why? It's not hard. We just is it taking the power out of the referee? I feel like no, there's just, so many just, things that we could do to kind of cut out the error. I think when we when the Mavs first installed TrueView, the Intel TrueView stuff, yes. which is 3D, that was one of the reasons. You know, we have 29 cameras now. I think they're 8K cameras, and it's really easy to do. But the turnaround time is too slow, and so as the turnaround time decreases significantly, we'll get to it. So it's not a question of if; it's just a question of when. Is that is that one of the ways that you feel like technology can help? The actual product of the game, like oh, yeah, the I mean, ball on the court. The same that same product will be able to look at the out of bounds line and, yes. and look at it from any angle and, and recreate it. So it's called volumetric. So it's just not a question of showing it and just reversing it or spinning it, but you can recreate any perspective. And if you can recreate any perspective with certainty, um, 99.9 percent .9 certainty, let's say, then you're not going to have out of bounds mistakes. What's your What's your feeling on the the three point shot and how many? Shots that being taken, you see Houston Rockets just go without a center. And PJ Tucker's—he's a truck, right? But 
What do you think about the way the shot selection in the league has changed, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, look, it creates more space. It's a good thing. You know, so now it's changing the players so that you've got to be able to not just shoot, um, but you have to be a better defender and really to have an impact. And you, you also have to have the ability to drive into that space to create something. You know, you don't need all your players going to being able to do that, but it sure helps. Um, I think part of the challenge with small ball is the same thing we saw when we started playing a lot of zone. When we started playing a lot of zone, our championship year, right? Nobody practiced against the zone. And so we would put it in and nobody knew what to do. And even at the beginning of this year, honeymoon effectively. even the beginning of this year, you saw particularly with the Sixers, everybody ran a zone against them and they had no idea what to do until they started practicing against it more. And then they got better against it. You're seeing the same thing with the Rockets. Nobody practices against small ball because it's hard to practice against. Yeah. So you're seeing that honeymoon effect because you know people, teams don't know how to execute yet, and there's not much practice time at this point in the season. So their timing was good to implement it because now they went to a system where, again, not only is it not practice against, there's just not much time to practice. And on that note, 82-game schedule. Where do you see that in five, ten years? And what are the obstacles? to get 82 games, maybe 78, 82. You don't think it's going to go down to... Like, That's not an issue at all. Cut, cut out the back-to-backs? No. I mean, it's not like everybody gets excited about every college basketball game because there's only 30 of them. You know, again, the thing about football, it's not the number of games, it's the amount of viewing time. If all 82 of our games were 20 minutes, just straight 20 minutes... Start it at 9 o'clock and it's 9.20 and game's over? Straight 20 minutes. Every game would be amazing. That's just not our game. It doesn't sit well with, you know, um, in arena experience. But people wouldn't complain that there were too many games. They'd complain that there weren't enough or they weren't longer. Yeah. But, like, how much does, you know, Russell Westbrook or uh, Kawhi Leonard, these guys who are superstars who are taking nights off on back-to-backs to rest, is there a way to make sure that that doesn't happen? Why would you? Why would you what? Why would you try to stop it? I mean, the idea is to keep them healthy for the playoffs. Yes, yes. I and there's only there's only a couple of players that sell. There's only a few players that don't play to an empty seat. Right. And LeBron, prior to him, Kobe. Right. Hopefully, Luca will be that guy if we can win some championships. It's just it's not like people are coming to say, see specific players. But I see it on the national airway. Like that's one of the first things people talk about with that's the NBA. It's a brand. But what people talk. What people talk about on talk radio, on the sports talk shows, right, on podcasts, that's not real life. That's everybody trying to figure out something to do. When you, when you take your kid to an NBA game, yeah. oh, I wish that so-and-so was playing. It really would be like, you're still going to have fun, right? There's, you know, out of 40 minutes, they're playing 32 minutes these days, right? 35 maybe. You know, so there's just, you know, obviously it's, it's a better game when your best players are there in any one situation and you'd like to see them all play but the minute somebody gets hurt in a meaningless game against somebody with a 12 and 52 record they're going to say why'd you play him we need him for the playoffs and and the real thing about load management is if you do load management right towards the end of the season you're playing more minutes not less because ramping up for the playoffs and if you've got somebody who can't play in the playoffs because they got hurt then you're the biggest idiot in the world and you deserve all the criticism because that's where the league makes most of the money because that's where the best ratings are, right? And that's where a team makes history. And it certainly didn't hurt the Raptors last year. Kawhi played hurt in, you know, as much as he could in, in the playoffs 
including the finals, you know, and it played, turned out pretty well. And the other team <laughs> yeah. didn't do load management. Did That's it? also just the product. Of they they have been playing a hundred games for five years. Just no, of course, things. yeah, I understand. I'm not trying to. I'm yeah. not trying to on the Warriors because look, it, it happens. You just don't know sometimes. Yeah. When it so switching gears, when when you look at the. Uh, the hire of Cynthia Marshall, what you've done with him, her as the CEO. Mm -hmm. What is some tangible things that she has done with your organization that I mean she's changed the culture over the last two years. She's you know she's a great people person, she's a great leader, she's smart, she's marketing driven, she's community driven. I mean she's she's just a great CEO. How did you find her? Um, we talked to some folks at AT&T where she had just retired and said, we just lost her, you gotta go grab her. And within two days, I was talking to her and we hired her. I see what's happening with the Astros now and their you know, scandal there, and not to equate it with what happened with you, but as an owner, how much did you feel like, how did I miss this? How did I, you know, how did I not know that this I was just happening? wasn't involved in the business. I, you know, I, over 20, over the previous 15 years, if I was in the business office 10 times, that would have been a lot. It was probably less than that. I had a CEO that I trusted to run it, and I trusted the wrong person. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it is what it is. There's no reason we litigate it. And, we, and, and how do you feel about just the NBA culture as a whole, just uh, embracing diversity and that side of it? It's always a good thing. I mean, one of the lessons I learned, you know, we had 45-year-old white guys trying to sell to Hispanic women. That was stupid. Right? You know, diversity isn't a checklist thing, it's an opportunity, and that's what I learned. That you can you can reach diverse communities who want to be mass fans, but it is certainly you do a much better job of it when you have somebody from that community helping you and, and doing the selling into those communities. You know, we have one of the largest Indian communities, I think we're the sixth large Dallas Fort Worth and the sixth largest Indian community in the country. We weren't marketing into that community. You know, Korean community is we're, you know, now we have people who are part of those communities who are helping us out into those communities. Yesterday I was talking to Will Purdue, and uh -huh. he was saying how there was a culture change in the NBA where David Stern said, you know, the NBA players, American NBA players, were nervous about international players coming into the league, taking uh -huh. spots of American players. Uh -huh. And David Stern said, I'm sorry, don't care. We have an opportunity here. It's not a matter of focusing on American basketball. It's an opportunity to market the game across the world. And how do you feel that with Luca and just drafting a player in, in Dirk Nowitzki, of course you have, but this is a global game. And in part, David Stern uh, being the visionary to see that yep, this was going to be. All the credit. How important is that just to not think just, I, I'm a Dallas Maverick owner, I got to market to Dallas. It's, it's much bigger. No, we're a global game, right? When Dirk, obviously with Germany, everybody loved him. Going back to Drajan Petrovic, um, Sabonis, you know, there was always a, a specific connection to the home country. And you would see him go nuts. J.J. Barea with Puerto Rico. I mean, there's no, you know, no greater connection than his fans from Puerto Rico. And David was the first one to see it, and he was smart. You know, I used to give him a hard time, you know, about China in particular, that we never made enough to pay even for a minimum salary. But he made the point, it's still worth it. You just watch it. He was right, I was wrong. What about retiring Kobe number <laughs> It was just the right thing to do. I talked to some of our guys and just, they were like, oh, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, just do it. It's just, you never, that way, the respect is always there from the organization for what Kobe did. Because yeah, I, I was surprised uh, that not more organizations were that quick to do something like that. What made it for you 
uh, important to you or relationship with Kobe or his family? Like, no, I mean, switching phones, and I saw some of my old texts with Kobe where we were going back and forth, and I just had a, a I respected him and, you know, thought highly of him, and, you know, the impact he had on the game was undeniable, and I just thought it was right to yeah. So, Rock was here yesterday. I don't think I've heard from you. Are you, uh, are you running for president, or what's the update there? Stay tuned. You never know. Oh, come on. No, no. You're still keeping that, that door no, open? Because no. I was sitting here like, man, I don't think I've heard anything from Mark on this topic yet. No, so. you won't. You know, it's basketball season. So you, you got to focus your efforts on Luca. Right? Yeah, like well, just game. winning games. Right? I think you said at one point that like if you were single, you might be taking different. Things. Yeah, my family voted it down. So Did if I was, it? yeah, if I was single, I might do it. But yeah, but I'm not. And, you know, I've got three great kids. You have any any thoughts on uh, Bloomberg versus Democrats or anything like that? Yeah, just like good. it just seems one of those times in the NBA where like uh, you're in this little like bubble where focus on the game and basketball and growing it and then Barack Obama shows up and you realize that when Barack Obama shows up and see, sees Jason Kidd and makes a crack about Jason Kidd's shooting, how important it is for all these athletes to see uh, you know, him being an NBA fan here in Chicago. That's pretty special. No, I mean, look, President Obama is a huge fan. I mean, I'm a fan of his, but, you know, everybody's got their own political beliefs. And, more power to them. He's a fan. Like, he's a fan. He's a fan. Look, you know, maybe President Trump's a fan, too. You know, I'll, I'll tell you this. I've actually talked to Trump about basketball. What's his, what's his hot take on basketball? He's a basketball fan. You know, I mean, we didn't, he, you know, I won't go into all the details, but he was asking me about players and what I think about this guy and da-da-da-da-da. Is this like way back? Or is this no, like this, is, this is a couple months ago. And he's not as big a fan as, as President Obama is. He doesn't know it as well. But, you know, look... It, I've made my political beliefs known in the past, and there's just no point. You know, just at this point in time, there'll be a, there'll be a right time to talk about it. Now it's not the right time. Yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, social media and just the, the idea of data and all that stuff. But I feel like you have a good grasp of American politics and how data can drive a lot of. My parents going into Facebook and seeing what's on. That's crazy. Room. My mom's 81 and she's on Facebook screaming and yelling. You know, um, it is what it is. You know, it's just a new, new world. Um, but you know how people deal with things is personal. You know, and, and you, you think you can derive it from data, um, and it's just not as always as obvious as we think it is. You know, why did why do Bernie Bros follow Bernie? You know, why do Trump voters? ignore things that we think are important and seeing, you know, why does he tweet the way he does? There's, there's a thousand different ways to analyze all of it and now's not the right time. When you talk about licensing the NBA stuff, like, how does AI be able to combat fake news and, like, be able to snuff out just bad information? It can, but not everybody wants it to, right? If you want that type of news, if you want your bubble to be your bubble, you're going to find it. People... You're, you're presuming that people want an objective source of news. Like if you're a Mavs fan, you don't want to hear about the Mavs you know, being bad. You want to hear positive things about your... Not necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of people who are some of the most passionate fans, like the f***ing moan, right? Yeah. You know, it's like the old talk radio days. I mean, still talk radio days, where people would call into the show, and you suck, and they suck, and this sucks. And you had to realize that that was just a tiny percentage of, of your fan base. And the people, you know on NBA Twitter who's screaming or yelling, you know, they had our uniforms, right? Our, our city use uniforms are awful and we're idiots and this and that. 
you know, Twitter is less than 20% of the adult population in the United States. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that the that Luca being such a positive guy and stepped in this dude smiling and playing with that kind of energy? Do you go into arenas and hear any negative things about Luca other than just like... No, not really. No, because he's just a kid, right? Yeah. He, and, you know, he's apolitical. He's just having fun. And I think, uh, for the most part, the last two rookie classes have been that way. You know, their they're kids, they grew up... They, they, They've gone from you know middle school on up, right? On social media, and they all have had social media identities is the better way to put it. And they've learned over the, their previous seven years being in the spotlight, the social media spotlight, how to manage those identities and how to fulfill those identities. And it's all like we talked earlier. It's all positive. It's all love, right? It's not I make my name by ripping on other people. It's not okay. Watch me get political with all this, so I'm going to stand out. It's I'm friends with Trey and Luca, and you know, pick pick anybody out. R.J. Barrett, right? You saw R.J. Barrett grab Zion when he was trying to go to a dunk. You could tell they were friends, right? You know, John Morant and Zion. Yeah, but yeah, it's just you know having fun, and no one freaked out when everybody missed the dunks at the end of the game last night. You know, it wasn't that big a deal. It's just it's like okay, whatever. You excited for Luca to hit the playoff scene? No, I'm just excited to win playoffs, man. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. All right, Mark, well, I appreciate the time. Have Enjoy the rest time. of your All-Star weekend. And that'll do it for The Haber Show. Remember to help me out and subscribe, rate, and review. If you haven't checked out my live show podcast in Chicago with dunker extraordinaire Aaron Gordon, former Bulls coach Tom Thibodeau, and Sacramento Kings breakout star and Chicago native Rashawn Holmes, listen, it was great. So go back and download that now. Until next time on The Haber Show.